0: Welcome to In the Queue. I am your host Andrew. I'm your co-host Phil, and we're here to talk to you about movies. That's what we do. and That's what we're here for, and we are excited about it. Uh. And today we're going to be talking to you about another listener's choice. Uh, who did this listener's choice come from?
1: This Phil? listener's choice came from my friend Gabe. 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 Yeah. He, uh, he, so he recommended yeah. this film to me. I, I, I flat out asked him, you know, what he thought of the show and what movies he would, he would like us to review. And he, he gave us this one and, uh, here it is.
0: Great. Thank you to Gabe for the recommendation of JCVD, which is a movie from 2008 starring JCVD himself. <laughs> None other than Jean-Claude Van Damme. And, uh, it's a really interesting movie, but before we get to that, we would like to direct you to, our web presence. Yes. Please visit us at our website which is www.in-the-q, that's the letter q.com. Mm-hmm. You can find all of our blog postings and and podcasts there or you could find us by searching for In the Q, Q U E U E, film conversations with Andrew and Phil and you can do that on both Facebook and iTunes iTunes, you can subscribe to our podcast really easily, and we encourage you to do that. And on Facebook, you can sort of engage the community that is talking about uh, our podcast. Mm-hmm. And in addition, we post a lot of interesting supplemental material on there, and you can watch some of those videos as well. Indeed. Or read those articles or whatever the case may be, whatever it is that we posted. So uh, please uh, keep these listeners' choices coming because uh, we've been on a roll now for yeah. quite a while yeah. doing a listener's choice every week. And uh, we would like to keep that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please go to our Facebook page or to our blog and leave a comment that lets us know what film you would like to see us talk about in our listener's choice. And we will do it. We will indeed do it. By my troth. Induitively. do it. We will do it. <laughs>
1: By Andrew's troth. And my troth, too. I'll just go ahead and throw that in as well.
0: All troths are spoken for here. We don't
1: discriminate against troths.
0: We do not. We do not. So, as I said, we are going to talk today about JCVD. This is, as I said, a movie from 2008. Uh, It is directed by Mabruk El Meshri. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the best I can do on the pronunciation (laughs) of
1: that. That makes sense to me, too.
0: Yeah, uh, who I would guess is a Belgian, much like J.C.V.D. himself. Right. Uh, And the film concerns Jean-Claude Van Damme playing Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mm -hmm. who is 48, I think he says, at an early point in the film. Yeah, he does. Uh, He's still doing action movies, crappy action movies that are not really, you know, what he seems to be wanting to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, he's kind of been pigeonholed, kind of been typecast. He's down on his luck. He's got a lot of tax problems. Right. He's got custody problems with his child. Yeah. Uh, things are not looking good mm-hmm. for Jean Claude, and he goes back to his home country of Belgium and to his hometown, uh, which I don't recall the name of the this, the little town. Was but
1: it, it was not Brussels, or was it? Oh.
0: Uh, it may have been. It, been, it was, it may have been like a suburb of Brussels or something, yeah. but it was a small little town. And in the center of the town was, it is a bank slash post office, mm-hmm. a place that, that you can go to get your, your money grams cashed or whatever the, the, the case may be. Right. And Jean-Claude Van Damme finds himself embroiled in the middle of a hostage situation at the bank. Mm-hmm. And uh, it appears as though he has fallen upon hard times to the point where he has taken hostages, and he is trying to get his demands met, trying to get his legal fees paid
1: for, his taxes right. done away with by robbing this bank. And that's how it appears to the people on the outside, right? Who yes. who sort of they see him in there, and they in a classic they make assumptions in a classic Hitchcockian turn of events. He is basically mistaken for a criminal, even though he's committed no wrong yes and he is he is sort of has to sort of survive the the hostage crisis and then and kind of clear his name yes, because on the inside we know who the
0: real hostage takers are and uh it it is uh it is that very thing that you were just talking about that is sort of what this entire movie hinges upon mm-hmm. uh the the idea that because Jean-Claude Van Damme has this persona in the public image you know he's got this public image that people know and people you know fear him and think that he's you know a real badass because of that they jump to the conclusion that he's the one who is of course perpetrating this because he is the you know they they bring all of their movies stereotypes to the situation right that he finds himself in and so he becomes in essence a bad guy based solely on the fact that these people know him from his movies. Yes, and that is really this movie plays around a lot with the idea of this kind of uh, meta appreciation of 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 celebrity and and what it means to be a celebrity and and someone who who uh, has assumptions brought to the... It, it takes that idea of of people who basically think that they. You know the people who think that they're best friends with celebrities because they read so much about them and they see so much about them on TV and they know them so well or people who who feel like they, they already know that person really well. And it takes it and kind of turns it on its head by pre- putting Jean-Claude Van Damme in a situation similar to one that would be in one of his films uh-huh.
1: but really making him just a, a pretty normal guy. Right, yeah, he doesn't have the same... You know tactics that he does in movies. I mean, uh, and also sort of to to give you an idea of of what Andrew was just saying. Right before Jean Claude Van Damme goes to the 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 post office slash bank, he gets stopped on the street by these two guys who who want to pose for photos with him.
0: Who are who are guys who work in a video store, right?
1: Um, um an old you know an old DVD <laughs> rental place, you know, ye old video shoppy. <laughs> remember those yeah remember those so yeah but and then and then he but then he becomes you know the villain um and there should be said that there's something kind of clever about the structure of this film where yes. in the the first sort of section it's a little bit in question it's a little bit you know uh uncertain is he really the villain maybe he is because we don't see into what what happens in the bank in the first section there's yeah. kind of a sort of a um, Pulp Fiction-esque type of device where we see the same events uh, twice except from different vantage points, right, d- right. different perspectives. So in the second section, we actually see what happens when Van Dam goes into the bank because before we, could, we only saw what the bystanders were seeing. And, and I think there was a little bit of ambiguity there like, well, wait a second. I mean, is Van Dam actually robbing this bank? And then we saw what ha- we see what happens on the inside, and sure enough, he's not. What's happening is that there are these these bank robbers, one of whom looks strikingly like John Cazale from Dog Day Afternoons, so much <laughs> yeah. to the fact that I assumed they were making some kind of homage to that.
0: Oh, I think it's unquestionable. Yeah, that they were, yeah, yeah.
1: So the and then there's also these chapter headings. There's these inner titles throughout the film that were very sort of cryptic in a way some of them were very sort of philosophical like like egg lands on stone egg breaks yeah <laughs> you know and wow you know it's like i i could think about that for a while but but yeah i mean yeah the, the the whole like meta thing that we're sort of riffing on right now is i think it has something to do with the 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 impact that being john malkovich had nine years Ten years, yeah, nine or ten years prior to this film, yeah, when yeah. when stars, or maybe not big stars, but stars started to sort of subvert their image in movies by playing themselves or a version of themselves in a, in a film, yeah. and and you know people are sort of thinking, am I watching the real John Malkovich or the real Jean Claude? And, and what's more, more than just simply
0: playing or subverting themselves, uh, having that be a conceit of the film, the story of the film. Because people have been playing themselves or subverting their image for a long time in bit parts in movies or even sometimes as leads uh, where it's just funny that they're doing this. Mm-hmm. But in this it, it, and, and, in, and in a movie like being John Malkovich, of course, it becomes a, a central
1: conceit of the plot. That they are themselves. Yeah, yeah. And this film actually was not written by Jean-Claude Van Damme in any way. No. It, it actually is a collaboration of six different writers. And yet, Jean-Claude Van Damme, who gives a very interesting sort of you know, soliloquy later in the, in the film that we'll talk about, he was not involved at, at all in the creation of, of this character that is supposed to have qualities that he, the actor himself supposedly has. Right. And so he did not come up with this image, really. I'm sure he worked with the director to sort of come up with this, this you know, sort of semi-fictionalized version of Jean-Claude Van Damme. But he's really sort of brought to this project, which is the brainchild of people who, you know who, I assume, don't really know him, but
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. One would one would have to assume, and and I think it's it's a really interesting approach. I I and I found it to be very earnest in a very fascinating way. I mean, I think that I think that Jean Claude Van Damme himself is very convincing in this film. and actually turns out a, a pretty wonderful performance. Yeah. I, I was actually quite shocked because, of course, we primarily know him from movies like Hard Target and Bloodsport and Cyborg and Universal Soldier and, you know, all these movies that are really don't require any acting ability whatsoever. Right. Just physical ability. Just physical ability. Yeah. That's what they're there for. And that's what, of course, that's what the 80s and 90s sort of thrived on in, in terms of uh,
1: action films. There's also a noticeable dearth of that type of martial arts and physical action in this film.
0: In fact, there's one point at which they even mock
1: it. They mock
0: <laughs> a, a move that he... I, I don't remember which film it came from, and uh, I'm sure that there are people out there who will immediately know. But there's uh, a move that he does where he kicks a cigarette out of somebody's mouth right. while while they're standing there. And uh, and one of the the hostage takers is just uh, the biggest JCVD fan in the world and just loves him so much. And so he, he gets to this point where he's like, he's like, just do it. Just do it once. <laughs> just just do it for me once. And he puts a cigarette in one of the hostages' mouths and has him stand there and then asks Jean- Jean-Claude to to kick it out of his mouth. You know, to, he does this like sort of uh, heel kick and, and kicks it out of his mouth. Yeah. And Jean-Claude does the most lackadaisical, unenthusiastic Not particularly athletic, though it is still impressive because he clearly has the the body control and the Mm -hmm. the the muscle uh, awareness to to be able to to do it, even when it doesn't look like he's trying to do it. Right. Uh, But like it's this it's really funny because it it it, it's like uh, the the fans who will mob a a superstar and ask them for their autograph and stuff like that. It's just this kind of. uh, weariness that that Jean-Claude kind of has yeah. soaked into his his being and and he's just like oh fine i'll do like this is ridiculous why are you asking me we're in a horrible situation and you're asking me to kick cigarettes out of this guy's mouth and then
1: later in the film one of the bank robbers actually asks him to to uh, write, write an autograph for him uh, write, yeah. write, write, make it out to arthur and this is like Archer. i think he he dies shortly thereafter i mean uh, oops i mean spoiler alert but um <laughs> but it's that's probably not going to lessen your enjoyment of the film but you know like he he does have this world weary quality about him and it's it's fascinating and and going back to that thing that we referenced about the the monologue that yeah he has it's it's a, there's a... It's, a it's an amazing moment yeah
0: yeah, it's an incredible moment in the film and I, it was probably my favorite part about the film is uh, at, at one point in the film, he sort of he's, – he's wearing the uh, one of those sort of harness cameras that Spike Lee used a lot in, in sort of his earlier days he, you know he, that he kind of uh, popularized with uh, Do the Right Thing mm-hmm. where it's attached to the, the front of the – The dolly, actor, right? Yeah. Well, no, it was it, it was actually attached to him because when he would turn to the left or turn to the right, it would go with him.
1: Right. But in, I think in, uh, in Spike Lee's case, they're actually sitting on a dolly that would. Oh, that's start, probably right. Track that's probably
0: through right. The, the set. Yeah. But then later in movies like 25th Hour, he, he would they were much more mobile. Mm-hmm. But uh, he uh, he floats above the set in this very sort of strange moment. He's kind of standing there and he's he's surrounded by all the hostages and the hostage takers and he just kind of starts to float up and you don't really know what's going on. And he floats up and, and it becomes clear that we're on a movie set Yeah, and that there are lights, you know, a bunch of lights that are, that are hung on a, you know, a, a, a grid and, uh, and he looks into the camera and he starts on this soliloquy. He starts in this really wonderful soliloquy about, that sort of world weariness that we're talking about, and and the yeah and he, the, the
1: compromises he's reflecting made, reflecting
0: on his career and and the compromises that he's made, and the
1: regrets that he has, and
0: yeah, and he and he gets very emotional in this monologue, and it, and it seems to me to be a hundred percent genuine. I mean, obviously, you know, he's it's a movie, he's performing, but it seems like a very honest cutaway to remind us that we're in a movie and that we are watching a movie star but that this movie star is also a human being yeah and uh and it's really it's really it was my favorite part about the film i think i mean uh, how, I really, how could
1: it not be i feel like uh, everybody i feel like uh, nearly everybody would would latch into that scene or they would just hate it but i think most people really are delighted to see him to see this side of him he's you know he cries and it seems like genuine tears and he's just kind of We're having this really tender, revealing, intimate moment with Jean Claude Van Damme, and uh, yeah, I I liked it a lot too. I actually knew it was coming because I had done some research about the movie, and when it finally did transpire, I was, I thought it was great. I mean, it's well,
0: I didn't know that it was coming, and I was, I was totally shocked by it. I mean, I was, I was totally taken aback by it because, uh, aside from the intertitles, they didn't really ever. Break the fourth wall in in the rest of the film. No, they didn't. you're right. and And so it became this very, very interesting moment. and they didn't do it afterwards either. Um, it was just this one there's this one moment in the film that I think is really kind of the heart of the film and and speaks to this kind of meta idea of 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 movies and uh, and celebrity personality and uh, and I, I really I thought it was a really interesting and and really, really, really compelling part of this film.
1: yeah, and that sort of ties into the whole issue of the the filmmaking choices that the the director made yeah. in this film. And yes, that was the only fourth wall you know break in the film, but it it manages to fit. Now, that's one thing that really worked for me uh, about this filmmaking style, but, there were a couple choices that they made that I'm not sure that I understand why they were necessary, but they definitely paid a lot of attention to sort of the hue of the film. Um, There was, there was a certain type of, you know, filter that I think was applied when they were doing the editing to give it a very kind of washed out monochromatic kind of Amber hue, um, as well as um, upping the contrast and even overexposing a lot of the, the light sources. Yeah, the overexposure on the light sources is striking. Striking, and and the overexposure, yeah, it was. Like I said, I don't really know exactly why they decided to to so heavily stylize the look of the film. Uh, yeah. But I felt like it, it sort of distracted me a little bit. I
0: actually that I that is one of the things that I did not like about this film was I I thought that the the choice was an interesting choice, but not necessarily one that I could fathom why they did it, and it it really did distract me. I did find it very distracting throughout. Yeah, uh, you know it it it's the same kind of uh, desaturation and overexposure that you get sometimes in in dream sequences or flashbacks, uh, in in a lot of other films. But imagine an entire film. <laughs> in that style. And that's what it was. And it's weird. Yeah. Know.
1: It uh and the other thing that I noticed about the filmmaking is that when I was watching the movie there was something kind of nagging at me. I felt like the movie was was flat. Like I felt like it was flat like a TV show is flat sometimes. Like there, it was it wasn't quite three-dimensional. It was two-dimensional. Yeah. And and then finally I realized what it was that was bothering me and it was the fact that this film was photographed in a very particular way and all these things that we were talking about with the sat- the desaturation and the the overexposing I mean some of that you you can do while you're filming but I think a lot of it was was probably done in in post as they say yeah but but the one thing they did in the actual shooting of the movie that made it seem more like TV for me was that nearly all of the scenes were shot using a long lens, which is to say it was a a telephoto lens, meaning that basically they were compressing the visuals. When you're you're shooting with a long lens, you have to be far away from the subject. And you're basically zoomed in all the way. And what that does is that it makes everything seem flat. Now, to contrast that, if a filmmaker is using a wide-angle lens – they can get much closer to the action and it's more immediate. It's more visceral. It's more cinematic. Yes. But the whole movie was basically shot that way, except for some of the scenes in the climactic moment when when the um, the people inside the the bank are, you know, basically leaving. Um, I did observe that there was a lot of handheld work, a lot of wide angle yeah. work that kept it more exciting. And I was thinking to myself, now, why would they make so much of the movie compressed like that? And I thought, well, maybe it had something to do with the setting of the, of the bank. Maybe they were constricted by the space. But that's just not true because if they were constricted by space, they wouldn't be able to back up far enough to actually film what was happening. Well, aside from the fact that
0: just taking into account that, that soliloquy that we were talking about, they were clearly on a set. They had as much space as they needed.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they could have, you know, planned it out. Um, But I just... uh, I mean, one thing that the director did fairly well throughout the film was to keep things kinetic, keep things moving, you know. Like, there's a lot of movement in every single shot, whether it was the camera, whether it was the people or the objects on screen. Um, So, overall, it held my attention. But, I mean, it got to the point where in, like, the second act... It, it's almost like I didn't need to pay a lot of attention to the film to be able to keep up with what was going on. Um,
0: yeah, yeah and I, and I feel like I feel like the the film maybe gets a little bit too cute i I think that it thinks it is a little more insightful than it probably is, and there you know there are points at which for instance there are there are repeated musical cues in the film that are these like really dramatic musical cues that that get cued up at really bizarre moments yeah that seem anticlimactic or not particularly dramatic or mildly dramatic and not you know and and I think that it it it, it is trying to play a little bit with the conventions of the genre mm-hmm. and basically show that that these things aren't necessarily as exciting as our action movies make them out to be. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that it successfully makes that point. And I'm not sure if there is any other point that they would be trying to make with it. And I I, I found it a little bit confusing and, again, a little bit distracting. There were a lot of choices in this film that I just found bizarre, yeah. like really strange.
1: Yeah, and I, I was watching the credits eagerly to, to see how this movie was made and sure enough it was actually shot on film it was shot on kodak film and yeah. i thought for certain that it was digital video from the way that it looked but really you know like what what would have been the difference in the impact of the film if we were seeing it in a naturalistic you know display of of color and and uh and movement i mean i don't really know I, we're we're sitting here trying to sort of figure out why the movie was was manipulated the way that it was. And I, I, well, I, think, yeah. I think I
0: think I think it was to, to be that meta film that it, it wanted to be really badly. You know, it, it, it was intentionally trying to call attention to the conventions of the genre and how we look at our heroes, our movie heroes, as something more than people when what they really are is just people. Mm-hmm. And and that was sort of the, the message that I got from the film. And, and the very sort of strange and very uh, downer denouement at the end of the film. Yeah. That I, I'm not sure proved any kind of point. I'm not sure that it, it, it meant anything uh, because I, I guess – the downer denouement is just another way of sort of saying, look, things don't always go like they go in the movies, guys. Yeah. It's not always a happy ending. Sometimes people get screwed and that's essentially, you know, spoiler alert. That's essentially what happens to Van Damme. They don't stop thinking that he's a criminal just, you know, based on the, uh, I, I couldn't figure out how it was that the other hostages wouldn't have been like, no, no, no. It you makes, don't understand. It
1: makes zero sense for that to happen. It doesn't make <laughs> the only reason that that exists is, I think, to make a point about a kind of a fatalistic view of life and how even, you know, heroic, strong people can eventually you know, get corrupted or failed by the system. You know, it's like, yeah, but I'm not even sure that it was concerned as much
0: with the failure of the system or, or, or any of that kind of stuff so much as it was concerned with the idea of Hollywood convention and, and the idea of, of, of I, that whole ending seemed to me to be just a subversion of what we would expect from a Hollywood film for the sake of subverting what we would expect from a Hollywood film. And for nothing else. It didn't seem to have any more meat to it than that. And I, I found that to be a profoundly strange choice.
1: Well you know. Here's here's another spoiler alert. The very very last moment of the film. Jean-Claude Van Damme is talking to his mom through a telephone. They're, she's visiting him. And she brings out his daughter. And it's like. The daughter that he was fighting for custody for at the beginning of the film, right? And uh, and they're talking on the phone. She says hi, and he has—he's in jail. Yeah, he has a nicely acted moment where he's beautifully. Yeah, he's kind of very troubled. Basically, he's yes. he's frustrated that he's behind bars and his daughter is out there, and um, I guess the the. There's a moment where he kind of bangs his head with the phone a couple times. Yeah, and I thought that that was a nice way for an action movie star to kind of express emo- emotion, to express, you know, frustration basically. But I, the only thing that I can think of that this would have to do with the rest of the story is kind of the the tragic full circle of he went into that bank so he could, you know, eventually pay the court costs right to so that he could try and well yeah he was going to
0: get yeah he was going to act he he was supposed to be receiving a wire transfer yeah and he goes into the bank and they of course pretend like nothing's the matter but also keep saying it's a computer problem no it's a cash flow problem no we can't you know and he gets very frustrated with them because he needs his money to to uh continue his his court battle and and settle his
1: tax lien yeah, so in a total kind of fatalistic way it's almost like he wouldn't have been able to get the money anyway even if the robbery didn't take place I guess i guess and and that's kind of like it's not quite irony but uh, <laughs> but when he's when he's confronted with the sight of his daughter it in a way it's kind of like the final the final blow or the final, you know, kick to the head where yeah. he's, his, he's basically failed. I mean, he's, he's, he's not been able to achieve his, his, his goals. Yeah. Yeah. I could
0: see that. Well, for me, this is a fascinating film. I found it to be very interesting. Uh, 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 uh sort of, Curious intellectual exercise but I would not recommend it necessarily. Really?
1: Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Uh,
0: I, I don't think I don't think that uh, I think it's worth watching for Van Damme's performance, actually. Yeah. Curiously enough. I think it's worth watching for some of the sort of conceits that they they use to kind of make their point. And I think it's worth watching for that soliloquy that pops out of nowhere, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think, I don't know exactly what people are, would be able to take away from this film. I'm not sure that, I, I think that it, I think it aims high and misses. Mm. And uh, and I think that that has to do with some of the stylistic choices, which I think can get very annoying and get on your nerves. I think that it has to do with some of the uh, philosophical choices, I guess, about the film. I, I don't think that it hits all of its marks, uh, and I, I think that it 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 is it's a problematic film, but a fascinating one. If you're if you're a, if you're a curious film goer, I would recommend it. If you're looking to see a Jean Claude Van Damme action flick or anything like that, maybe watch the the Fluid Master at the beginning of the film and then <laughs> call it call it quits. <laughs>
1: That's right, because the audience of this movie uh, is probably not fans of Bloodsport and Hard Target and. Kick, no. Kickboxer, that, you know, it's like, why would somebody watch this movie? Well, I was not familiar at all with with his action movies. And I found it interesting oh, wow. just because I, I I know who he is. I know what his persona is. But I think I, too, would hesitate to recommend it to a, any fans of his. I mean, I definitely, they're probably, I mean, not to sell them short, but they're probably not interested in this kind of a story um, while well, they may be amused to see Van-, Van Damme play a role that is sort of like casting against type. Um, so I guess mainly I would not recommend it because of the, uh, as you mentioned, the the stylistic choices were kind of annoying. It, it was not really kind of a enjoyable film to watch. The thing that kept it interesting was the kineticism of the, the direction. Yeah, um, yeah. But the, the cinematographic conceit of the movie was um, not particularly fun to watch and uh, ultimately watching this movie from beginning to end I I don't feel like I really gained a lot other than the knowledge that Jean-Claude Van Damme can actually act yeah. so fans of in the queue just take our word for it and know that Jean-Claude Van Damme can actually act <laughs> and now you don't have to watch the film <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean maybe that's the the best thing to say about it. But uh, um, I, I will say it's interesting, and it it is worth watching if you're a curious film goer. But uh, otherwise, uh, probably skip it. Yeah. So that's our discussion about JCVD. We hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that it was enlightening in some way, and we hope that you will join us for our next podcast where we'll be talking about the new release. Begin Again, Yes, starring Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley, directed by the director of Once, the indie darling musical hit mm. from a few years back, and, uh, and I'm really curious to see it. I think uh, it'll make for interesting discussion.
1: I think so, too, and I think it's funny that his previous movie was called Once, and the next movie was called Begin Again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, good call. So thanks for listening. We will catch you next time.